Hey, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurs Podcast, the podcast for and by female entrepreneurs in college. Today, we are so excited to share with you our conversation with Katherine Hometh, founder and CEO of Sheertex and Female Funder. Catherine has a remarkable entrepreneurial journey from her experience at Y Combinator to pursuing startups while she was attending York University. Catherine's story champions the importance of retaining your unshakable entrepreneurial spirit, how to use your naivety to your advantage, and facing your fears head on. To have Catherine today with us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm super excited to be having you on today, especially fellow Canadian. Um, and just to get us started, we'd love to ask our guests, what is something that excites you when you wake up in the morning? I feel so grateful to get to come into the factory during COVID. I know that there's like temperature checks and masks and all of that, but not having to be on Zoom all day, every day, because we run a factory makes me very excited in the morning these days. <laughs> I love that so much. And for our audience who don't know you super well, could you give us like a short little bio of who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm Catherine Cometh and I am the founder and CEO of Sheertex. And uh, we invented the world's first pair of practically unbreakable pantyhose. Um, So try as hard as you possibly could and you would not be able to get your thumb through our pantyhose. So um, I had worked mostly in software, um, starting a company called ShopLocket prior to Sheertech, sold that to a large manufacturing company um, based actually primarily out of Shenzhen. Um, and then um, started a company called Female Funders, which was all about angel investing in um, companies kind of like me when I was starting ShopLocket. Um, ended up selling Female Funders to a venture capital firm here in Canada. And then really had the itch to make something real, like a real physical product. Um, I'd fallen in love with hard tech, working on a lot of connected devices while I was at PCH. But I felt like so many products in the world today are technology for technology's sake. So essentially, like, let's connect you to the internet and see what happens. And I wanted instead to start with a problem first and then let the solution come from there. And did not think I would end up in hosiery, did not think I would end up making tights, but this problem just stuck with me because it was so simple. Like we're, you know, sending things to space and we have self-driving cars. How do we not have tights that don't rip when you put your foot in them? And I just started on, I think, Alibaba and Amazon and like Google and try to like watch YouTube videos, figure out how tights were made. And Within about six months, I became pretty sure that there was a way that we could not just do this a little bit better, but that we could really reinvent the category. I was so naive. Um, this was four years ago in the early days. I was like, I'm going to have this market in like six months, like two years later, we're shipping our first product finally. Um, so it was quite the adventure to even just like get it out there. But yeah, we make these super ridiculously strong tights. <laughs> That is absolutely amazing. And I definitely in a pair of those. I can't tell you how many times I'm running late. I put my foot into the tights and it's ripped and it's, it ruins the whole fit. And then it's just it's downhill from there. So this is obviously a pattern um, that many uh, females or anyone who wears tights have to deal with. But I think we see lots of little things in life that annoy us. Oh, maybe this is too short. This is kind of annoying. Why was this the problem you focused in on? And what was like the story behind focusing on pantyhose? So 
I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur so much so that I think it made me really frustrated that I didn't have the idea. Like from the time I was in high school, I was writing lists. I was trying to figure out like, what's the thing I'm going to start? What's the thing I'm going to start? And I would kind of go down the path of starting something and realizing that it just wasn't right or would never really take off. Um, Ended up going out of university and I'd studied business and I'd worked in internships for people that had startups. I'd done things much like what you're doing with this podcast. I I planned lots of events for um, students to learn about entrepreneurship because I just wanted to hear these stories. I wanted to hear how people got started. Um, But I, by the time I left university, I just still didn't know what the thing was that I was going to start. And I'd say I beat myself up about it quite a lot. Um, And the good thing was I had surrounded myself with really amazing people doing really interesting things. And just as I was in my last couple months of university, um, one of my kind of friends slash acquaintances that I'd met through the startup world, this would have been back in 2011, um, was Toby Lukey of Shopify. Um, and he was you know, starting this theme store thing attached to Shopify and thought people should build themes for Shopify. And I thought, okay, like maybe this is something that I could do. And I was not a developer, um, but I had surrounded myself with lots of friends who were developers because they were smart and they were working on interesting things. Um, And I ended up taking, I think it was like 2000 of my savings to pay a friend to build a Shopify theme. And the deal was we would then do a rev share on it. I would do all the support for the theme um, and we'd put this out on the Shopify store. And I also at the same time um, got a job at a startup right out of university. In fact, I think um, university and that first job overlapped for two months. So I would go to classes like two or three days a week. And then the other days I'd already have started at my job. Um, And that was at a smart thermostat company. So this was right before the Nest thermostat launched. Um, This was a company called Ecobee in Toronto. And so I had these very entrepreneurially tied things I was doing, right? Like I was working on these themes for Shopify. I was working at a startup, but all the time I was really just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And within about, I'd say seven or eight months of starting um, at this new job, um, I saw this opportunity within Shopify that there were so many people at the time that had a website and then they also had a Shopify store and they would maybe use our theme on that Shopify store but that theme looked nothing like their website. So they sort of had these two different worlds that they lived in. And my idea was, well, what if people could just embed Shopify on an existing website? Um, And that's what I wanted to do. And I tried really hard to do it within Shopify. I even like enrolled in Shopify's developer program to try to see if I could build this as a Shopify app. But the way that Shopify is built, every single thing about Shopify will redirect you to Shopify. So there's like no way out of the ecosystem. Um, So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try to build this. And again, I hired a friend um, to build this like little test app. We applied to Y Combinator. We got rejected from Y Combinator. This is again back in 2011. And um, I was obviously like super, super disappointed to get rejected, but I had actually quit my job before even finding out if we got in or not, because 
I knew I didn't want some third party to be the one that's like choosing for me, whether I'm going to make the leap and actually start this company. Um, so I had already quit my job and the same week my boyfriend broke up with me. Um, and the co-founder on this business who had built the first prototype decided she didn't want to do it anymore. So I was like co-founderless, boyfriendless, investorless, and jobless, and really, really, really like depressed. Um, but I had met a couple of people over those few months when I was working on it, um, who were also at the very same stage that I was. So the reason I really quit my job is because I kind of wanted to, but I was scared. And I was going out for drinks with friends one night and one of them walked into the room and was like, I quit my job today. I am like going all in on my startup. And my response to her was like, I quit my job too. And I had not quit my job. And the next morning I went in and I quit my job. Um, so that was really what got me started. And then when all of like this rejection happened, I saw that Y Combinator was coming to Canada. They were going to be at Waterloo. And I ended up getting in the car, driving down to Waterloo, because I was going to convince them to let me in. So this was all happening in like a very small space of time. So we'd gotten rejected. I'd quit my job. Well, right before that. And I went and I waited all day to try to meet with this person. One of my friends said they would like find a way to get a meeting set up for me. The whole day goes by and I end up seeing the person just like walk out the door and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I never got to meet with them. And my friend comes up to me like, don't worry, they'll be back tomorrow, just come back, we'll make it happen. Um, and what ended up happening was I had to drive all the way back to Toronto, which is like an hour and a half back. And this was literally days after, maybe a day after my boyfriend broke up with me. So I was like, just in like a terrible mental state drove back, sat again, waiting all day to meet with this person. And again, I saw them walking out the door this time to get their flight. And I was like, this is not happening again. And I like ran down the hallway, stopped them in the hallway. Um, this is Gary Tan, who um, now is at Initialized Capital. And I was like, gave him my pitch. He's like, I remember your application. Like, this is kind of interesting. Like, let me see what I can do. Um, and the next day we got accepted for an interview and I was on a plane down to Mountain View um, my co-founder rejoined the company. Um, and this sounds like it's going to be a dream story, but the truth is we ended up getting rejected again. Um, but it was this like magical moment for me of realizing that like, you can actually make things happen. Like, even though the world tells, you no, you can do something that makes it happen. And I'd also in going down to Mountain View, just got to like breathe the Silicon Valley air. And I swear there's something magical in it. And I just was so all in on doing this startup. Um, and I came back and that very same friend who I quit my job to mimic um, ended up offering $10,000 to invest in the company when I got back, even though we'd been rejected. And I, like, I think that was half the money she had in the whole world. Um, and it wasn't really the money that mattered so much, so much as her belief in me and what I was doing. And between all of those things happen and happening, I was off. And I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And what I would say in terms of like knowing the idea, like it's so hard to manufacture. You can't like do it on a piece of paper. It's really, really hard. Um, I think you just have to follow the thread lines, the intuition of things that happen, go as far as it makes sense. Sometimes you'll 
see a snowball take off and you just need to like run after it. Um, and sometimes it won't work, but you're not going to be able to know everything perfectly in a spreadsheet. Um, it's just not going to be how it happens. And Sheertext was exactly that. Like, it was interesting. Did I think it was going to be like what it is today? Absolutely not. But it was interesting. And it was enough to get me to do the first little things. And those little things became a lot more. And I was actually working on a couple different ideas at the same time. And this was the one that just sort of, you know, sucked me in more than anything else. So um, yeah, it's hard to manufacture what the idea is, but I'd say just don't let that discourage you. That's truly such an amazing story. Like the fact that you touched on failure and like how that kind of has contributed to your journey is something that we love to highlight on this podcast because everyone talks about failure in like a very taboo taboo light and just the fact that you like already mentioned it and your your story was I think built a lot on that experience was so fascinating to hear switching gears slightly I would love to hear more about how you went from that idea for sheer tax um, to actually like starting it and then like you mentioned earlier you had some like misconceptions that you were going to have a company launch in like six months how did you manage to cope with those expectations what was like the early stage of the company like? Yeah, so the very, very early days, the first six months was me and I had brought on kind of my only friend that knew anything about fashion um, and had a little bit of background in apparel um, to, to help kind of part-time at least be like a sounding board to say like, is anyone working on this? Am I crazy? Um, and we would order in yarns um, that were, and like think like a bobbin, like like if you're sewing, like that little tiny spool of thread, like a big version of that. Um, we would order in all of these different yarns and fibers to, and my first test was honestly, I'd put it around my finger and I'd try to break it. And if I could put it around my finger and break it, I decided it was not strong enough um to make unbreakable hoser I didn't even bother knitting it um so it was kind of like looking back it was such a um a naive way to look at it because now I know that once you knit something it completely changes the strength of it because you're like making a mesh and the mesh is like much much stronger than the fiber like on its own but I think it was that naivety that actually allowed us to do something so ridiculously better than what was on the market because no one in the industry would ever use this test. It was so stupid. Um, but we ended up finding a fiber that was more likely to cut my finger off than rip um, when I was trying to like pull it. Um, and that was the fiber that I was like, okay, we're gonna try to knit this. And I had knit a few of the other ones and it proved my theory that if I could like pull it with my finger and it ripped, it was gonna rip in, in like tight form too. Um, and we, in terms of finding a factory, um, this friend who started working with me because she had done some other things in apparel, she had um, a contact over in China who just had contact with lots of different types of factories. Um, so I have absolutely no idea what factory made these first samples. I just know that like I would ship this spool and I would get a leg of something back to me. Um, but the final sample that I had made this way, um, which was the one that was so insanely strong and it was like 
gonna like cut my finger off. Um, that was the one that I sent over. Um, and when I got it back, it came with this angry note saying, this broke all of our machines. Please do not send this to us again. We managed to hack off like a little tiny piece of it. Here's your tiny piece, like that's it. And I got this sample and I remember being so excited to get this particular sample because the fiber was so strong. Um, and I remember the FedEx notification came in and at this point I was living like two hours away from like a, a main airport. Um, so the FedEx notification came in that it was delayed and it wasn't going to show up until Monday and this was Friday and I like could not wait. I just like could not wait. So I drove two hours and like intercepted the FedEx truck so that I could get my sample on the Friday. And I sat in the parking lot in front of the FedEx and I opened up my little package and out comes this like literally like white cheesecloth. Um, it's too thick. It has absolutely no stretch to it. Um, it's white and this fiber is not viable. So like it was never gonna be anything but white. Um, and I tried to put my thumb through it and it was so insanely strong. And I was just giddy, like I was so thrilled. And it had taken, I'd say four or five months to get to this sample. And this is where, again, being naive was a superpower because I was like, we're gonna solve all these problems. We're gonna make this stretch. We're gonna color this. We're gonna uh, find a way to make this like three times thinner because this is like three times too thick for sheer pantyhose. It's gonna be amazing. Um, and at that point I went all in, like this was going to be the thing. And um, I had raised a million dollars for my first startup. I had invested in a bunch of startups. I assumed raising money was going to be like so easy. Like I knew all the people. And I remember going out to talk to just my friends, my friends who were angel investors to get them to put, um, I was trying to raise 250,000. So I wanted 10K from like each of these early angel investors. And even my like literally like best friends, they would sit across the table from me and look at me like I was like completely insane. Uh, they would look at this sample and they would look at me and I was so thrilled about this piece of cheesecloth and they just could not see it. Um, so at the end of the day, I was just like, okay, um, I realize you don't really like buy in on this, but I need a favor. Like if you don't invest, no one's going to invest. So I just need a couple people to believe in this, to like get it over the edge so that we can start this round of financing. Um, and that's kind of what happened. I got like the people that were closest to me to put in 10K kind of begrudgingly um, because they believed in me and because I asked them to. And I was able to turn that into eventually getting 250K worth of people to do the same thing. Now, mostly based on the fact that other people had done it, certainly not based on my terrible sample. Um, and then I had to basically get the first thing was to try to get a sample that looked a little bit more like tights and we had so many iterations over two years um they but i'd say like within three months i had something that was closer a little bit closer to tights and that's what i wore to my y combinator interview and it was really awful like looking back like you would have like seen it on my legs that i would have looked kind of like a leopard like very striped like not good very thick um but i think i was just like so hell-bent that this was going to work and 
if anyone asked me anything about the fiber, the knit structure, the polymer, like I knew the answers to everything. I had gone so deep on this problem and ended up getting into Y Combinator. Um, I had at this point just decided that I needed my own factory because I'd gotten that note saying that I broke all the machines. And I was like, how am I ever going to do this unless I like have my own machines? Um, and I came up with this like totally arbitrary number, $4 million was what I thought I needed, um, to start my own little factory. And I remember, um, Michael Siebel from my combinator being like, that's nice, but you're going to raise a million. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, and then all I did was like, just start like, um, there's a few different ways to raise money, safes, convertible notes, price rounds. We did ours based on a safe. So it's simple agreement for future equity. And what you do is you pick this like cap, essentially like the highest valuation at which that person could possibly have to invest. And I just kept increasing the cap on this safe and eventually got my $4 million within the course of like three months. I got the million and then I just like kept increasing the cap so that it wasn't like horribly dilutive. And now I had my $4 million and like, there's a whole other probably like six hour podcast we could do on that but um got the four million dollars and now I had to start this factory um and at this point there were I think there were only two of us in the company still at that point in time and the company grew to about five people within the following six months we set up in a 2,000 square foot garage which I was pretty sure was going to be big enough for us to grow to be a multi-billion dollar company like that was so much space um, little did I know within like six months, mostly out of me just like pushing so hard to get volume because I felt like none of the unit economics would work unless we could get this to scale. Um, we were just exploding out of the space and I ended up taking a massive bet within the first, um, I'd say six months of us pr doing production and we took over Canada's largest hosiery factory. So we were producing, well, better number. We were producing 3,000 pairs a month. We were selling maybe 500 pairs a month, like not very many pairs. And we took over a factory that can produce probably 2 million pairs a month. So think about like a small leap of faith um, in taking over this factory. And that was about a year and a half ago. And we walked in the door, I think 10 of us moved from our first factory. And I knew that we had like this countdown going like we had to scale our sales we had to scale everything to make this 115,000 square foot facility make any sense um so I was at the factory probably from 6 a.m till 11 p.m every day for three months living in the hotel basically across the street from the factory um and we grew from about 150,000 in sales in that September uh, $150,000 in sales to like $2 million in sales in the month of November, 60 days later. And the team grew from about 10 people to 130 people or so in that same 60 days. I think every one of those 130 people reported to one of about three people in the company. And it was just like utter chaos. Um, but we grew and we ended up closing out our series B at the end of that year in 2019 and you can only imagine being a factory selling tights in COVID has been its own adventure um, that happened about 60 days later and I'd say now where we're at is it kind of come out the other side 
Um, and somehow it's still good to be in the tights business right now. Um, I think probably because we're online and um, now I think like this has been about me growing up a bit like and trying like understanding that the company has become a different company now it's like a real thing it's like not a startup in the same sense anymore it's a company and um you know building an executive team and running a company off of P&L um that's been quite the shift to make for me as an entrepreneur over the course of uh the last year so yeah quite quite an adventure we've had <laughs> that is truly just from like the your drive i think is the most inspirational thing like just the fact that you have so much faith and belief almost and just drivenness is truly amazing and something that i hope that everyone can take away from this podcast i guess something i'm wondering is did you ever doubt your company did you ever doubt the idea that you had and how did you deal with that um so I never doubted that tights should be unbreakable. Like, I I always believed that this was a stupid problem and that if you could solve it, it should exist. Always believed that. Um, many times in the early days, I believed that what I had built didn't solve the problem. Like, I was like, you know, yes, as much as this deserves to replace it, have I actually created the solution? Is this good enough? Will the customers want it? Like, does it like, and, and think like MVP prototypes, like looking back, some of those first things we produced were just awful. So the amount of self-doubt that I had that this ugly, horrible thing that I had produced was going to actually be the legitimate solution to all types everywhere, like so much doubt um, every step of the journey. And it was just like this, like I would say that for me, and this is probably something that like, you know, I have to deal with more with my therapist than anything else is like, I have like just been trying to turn that like fear into drive, like, you know, did I ever fear anything? I fear everything all the time. Like I am paranoid. Everything is a like five alarm, alarm fire. Um, and that for me has always become like, I move so much faster than the average person. I take everything really seriously. I look at something most people would think was okay. And I see all the ways that it's wrong. And then I go and I do the things to fix that. Um, and like, in some ways that's a superpower in other ways, it makes you like a really miserable human. Um, so now what I'm personally trying to figure out is how do I not give up all those things that have made me who I am and have like allowed me to succeed while finding ways to go through life, not thinking everything is a five alarm fire. Um, and that is a really like hard personal struggle, but like, do I, did I have doubts? Do I have fears? Like all the time. Like that is probably why this company exists. Yeah, I think driven by fear. I don't know, just like from our small experience of like starting the podcast, I think that it started out with a lot of fear too. And just like being able to turn that fear into 
something that can actually work is definitely something that I think all entrepreneurs could take back, but I think your story definitely emphasizes. Um, as we begin to wrap up the podcast, we'd love to ask our guests, um, what is something that you love about yourself today? I think that I am very resilient. I think that I am quite bouncy. Like you can throw a lot at me and I will come up out the other side. And I think I do that pretty quickly. Um, and like, I think that's something that I, I'm very grateful to have in myself, but like very much tied to what I just said, like, there's so much complexity to that. It's like, sometimes the things you love the most about yourself are also the things that cause you the most problems, right? Like I am super bouncy. I am super resilient, but I also, um, I think I, I get like a high off of that because I do like it so much about myself that I think I sometimes throw myself into these situations, right? Like my, my husband likes to say that I do it to myself and it's kind of true. Like these things often don't happen to me. I do them to myself and then I bounce and like that's how like I progress really fast but um it it certainly makes for an interesting experience for sure I love that so much I think that um I I kind of see how like your traits can be like both like the best thing but also can like harm you sometimes and how you like balance that is super interesting um what is something that you are grateful for today I am so grateful probably more than anything else these days for my friends that have kind of followed me through this entrepreneurial journey and that are doing really interesting things themselves um that group of people have just been such a lifeline for me um through this whole experience so having those people um means a lot and um, I'd say the second thing is the team that we have here at Sheertex and just how much this team cares and um, we're really all in this together. We're 175 or so people today and I'm so grateful for, for all of them. Do you have any advice for young female entrepreneurs in college who really want to pursue it but like as you said, when you're in college, when you were in college, like you didn't necessarily have the idea, but how do you keep that drive for entrepreneurship? I think that things like what you are doing right now with this podcast are probably the best possible things that you could do. Surround yourself with people that are kind of a couple steps ahead of you that you can like really immerse yourself in that world um and build up a network I think you know in addition to like meeting entrepreneurs and spending time with them you know even building an investor network and just like finding your way into those conversations if you want to get into software um like take some courses to learn to code I did that pretty early in my career as well and um you know go just do those whether it's in your spare time um go to the events whether they're online events these days or real events like go to them like start to just immerse yourself um and if you are out of school or, look, or you're doing a co-op or an internship um go work at a startup like go work at one of these places get that experience firsthand 
it honestly doesn't matter if that startup is a total shit show or if that startup is going well, you are going to learn what to do or what not to do. And those are like equally valuable experiences. So just like get yourself as close to the sun as possible. Um, and I think good things will come out of that. And to end us off, if you could give us a sentence or two about what it means to be a female entrepreneur. Um, so I think this, the word I would actually pick is very similar to some of the other things that I had said earlier, but it is this idea of resilience. Like it is not a straight and narrow path. It is probably way more lows than it is highs. Um, the highs do make up for it, but like you're mostly living in the lows. Um, and I think to make it as you know, an entrepreneur, it's about resilience, but then to do it as a female entrepreneur with all of the odds ever so much more stacked against you, it is about resilience. Um, and I think th there's an interesting quote. I think this was um, Elon Musk um, on a, a clubhouse like session um, that happened uh, maybe a couple of months ago now. Um, and someone asked, um, what words of encouragement would you give an entrepreneur? And his response was, uh, if you need words of encouragement, don't become an entrepreneur. And I think like as like harsh as it is, there is a truth to it. Um, that said, like, I think everyone needs like someone or some people to go to. And that's where I think other entrepreneurs are your words of encouragement. So go surround yourself with other entrepreneurs, but pretty much everyone else in the world from your customers to your investors will not be giving you words of encouragement. So that really has to come from you and the network you set up for yourself. For sure. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. If our guests or our audience want to check you out, where can they find you and share tags? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Instagram, Catherine Hometh. So that's probably the best way to, to get me. And then SureText is just SureText.com. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Be sure to check out our past and future episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this podcast now to stay updated with what's going on in the entrepreneur podcast universe. Join our community on Instagram, LinkedIn, and always feel free to reach out to share your or someone you know's entrepreneurial journey.